Markets Conversation is a new IAM podcast where we discuss topics of importance to capital market participants with product owners, subject matter experts, and industry leaders. One of my first bosses once said that I was like a dog, that no matter how much he knocked me back I, and said, no, I always kept coming back, which at the time I was pretty offended. Having run a startup now for four years, I think that's acting like a dog is actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good philosophy when it comes to building and growing a business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Markets Conversation. I'm Ali Curry. On today's episode, Bruce Roberts from Ion Markets and Will Mitting from Acuity will discuss how firms can best take advantage of emerging opportunities in derivatives clearing. Since the financial crisis of 2008, the FCM market has undergone remarkable transformations, adapting to new regulations, market volatility, and advancements in technology. Our guests today will shed light on how these changes have shaped the FCM industry's resilience and have provided a foundation for growth. Bruce Roberts is part of the global management team in Clear Derivatives and Global Business Development at ION. Will Mitting is the founder and CEO of Acuity, a research platform that provides insights and operational trends on Clear Derivatives. Let's get started. Bruce Roberts, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Ali. Great to be back. And also, no stranger to the podcast, Will Mitting. Welcome back. Great to be here. Bruce, let's start with you. The 2008 financial crisis was devastating to every industry, but particularly to the financial industry. Can you share some background on what happened and what were the major challenges faced by FCMs during the crisis? Reflecting back to the 2008-2010 period, the financial crisis was driven by cheap credit and lax lending standards for mortgage lending that fueled a housing bubble. As interest rates started to rise, it led mortgage holders to default on their uh, payments. And this led to a significant lack of confidence in the quality of the products that had been used to securitize these mortgages such as through mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed securities, collateral debt obligations, to name a few. As holders of these products started to realize the poor quality of the underlying mortgage assets, it drove many institutions to the wall in default as they had to write off billions in losses. Some of these firms were allowed to fail, such as Lehman's, and others were taken over by larger firms, such as Bear Stearns being acquired by J.P. Morgan. The response by governments and central banks was to drop interest rates to new zero or negative in some cases to prop up their economies and use quantitative easing to stimulate economic activity. So the crisis also led to a host of new regulatory reforms that were known as Dodd-Frank in the U.S. or Amir in Europe along with a number of changes by the bank for international settlements on capital requirements. So the impact to FCMs post the crisis was driven by the ultra-low interest rate environment and increased capital and regulatory requirements. So all of these meant the cost of the business increased while revenues were shrunk, with one of the key revenue streams of FCMs being driven to near zero. And some estimates suggest that one quarter to half of an FCM's revenues 
activities are driven by net interest income earned on client margins. So the resulting outcome was for a number of FCMs to exit the industry or look to merge as it was no longer profitable for the capital allocated to the business. So quantifying you know, this impact FCMs can be seen with the total number of FCMs globally falling from somewhere around 170 before the financial crisis to approximately 70 today, and with smaller FCMs in particular pulling out of the market. And now, after a decade of struggling, the economics of the clearing business have rapidly improved. How has derivatives clearing become a growing opportunity and what are the potential benefits for market participants? So simply put, why do we need more FCMs? It's been highlighted with the decline in the number of FCMs in the market post the financial crisis that concentration risk exists. So the existing firms have become larger with the amount of clearing volume that is undertaken by these firms. Overlay this with central banks' recent actions, such as the Bank of England, who are using aggressive interest rate policy to tame inflation with a succession of interest rate increases over the last year. It's changing the dynamics of the market. And the base rate for the Bank of England is now 5%. As of last month, it's expected for the bank to increase by another one quarter of a percent tomorrow, which will bring the rate to five and a quarter percent. So the increase in interest rates, not only here, but globally by central banks is leading to significant increases in revenue and profitability for FCMs. There's also the view that interest rates are not going to return to the ultra low rates we've seen in the last decade. So this provides firms with some certainty to revenue opportunities. And if they look to enter the market, there's some confidence in the opportunities now being created within clearing. It's still early days, but it feels the pendulum is starting to swing back to more firms looking to re-enter the market as FCMs. I'm not seeing traditional banks in that, but interest is growing in a diverse range of companies, including crypto, retail brokers, and also institutional brokers looking at specific areas of the market, such as commodities or markets such as China, Brazil, to name a few. The additional competitions, it's healthy for the market, and it also helps provide additional alternatives to market participants and a potential reduction in the concentration risk that's been highlighted. Right. Thank you, Bruce. Now, let's have a quick chat with Mr. Mitting. Hi, Will. Hi, Yadi. How are you doing? Great. Tell us about the report that Acuity published. Who's your intended audience and what was the objective of your research? So Acuity provides insights into the global derivatives market. And Bruce and I chatted at the start of the year really about doing a report looking at the trends that Bruce just outlined, really trying to drill down into understanding how FCMs were responding to it, both in terms of their appetite for growth and expansion, their optimism, and their, I guess, faith in the in the longevity of higher rates insofar as they were able to make medium-term decisions on business growth in the expectation that rates would remain high. Um, so we wanted to really really understand the impact that rising rates and indeed rising volumes, which we've also seen since 2020, was having on both FCM's expansion plans, but also for firms that may have looked at the market previously, some you know, brokers that maybe wanted to look at non-bank FCMs, some regional banks or, or tier two and three banks that didn't have any or significant clearing um, operations 
institutions currently, understanding from them how the, the changing economics is changing how they, how they view the market. So the audience of the survey was very much the sell-side community, but the audience for, for distribution was, was really the whole market. I think also, as Bruce alluded to, um, and your question alluded to um, earlier to Bruce, highlighting the need for, for, for greater number of FCMs to come in to reduce concentration risk, which is particularly evident in, in certain markets such as proprietary trading and, and some of the smaller hedge funds. Okay, so now a two-part question. What does your research tell us about the possibility of growth or expansion in the FCM market domestically and internationally? And what are some of the key drivers of this growth? Well, I think, um, as Bruce discussed earlier, the rapid change in the economics of clearing following over a decade of near zero interest rates, I think caught a lot of people unawares. And so firms have had to very, very quickly reevaluate their plans and seize the opportunity for growth. So we see very, very strong appetite for growth, both among uh, non-bank FCMs and banks alike. For the, for the incumbent FCMs, that growth is predominantly adding new markets or expanding offerings in existing markets, maybe connecting to more exchanges in some of the markets they already cover. As I mentioned earlier, for firms that aren't currently clearing, it's about taking those early steps into clearing. And we'll come on a bit later to some of the challenges involved in that. But I think what interests me about the findings of the report is that is that the rising interest rates and volumes was only one part of the, of the um, drive to expansion among FCMs with client demand um, and organic growth of companies um, outside interest rates also featuring highly, actually featuring highly higher than, than the interest rate environment. Um, trading is becoming increasingly global and clients are looking for, for multiple opportunities, whether that's arbitrage or whether it's new markets to, to execute their strategies or trade against an increasingly diverse portfolio of, um, of counterparties. So FCMs are responding, I think, predominantly to that in their expansion plans and seeking to, to ensure that they're not missing opportunities as clients look for greater international exposures. You mentioned there's significant room for more competition. What does more regional competition mean for the market? Bruce mentioned that um, quite rightly that the number of FCMs had had fallen. The headline numbers that are often quoted and indeed were quoted by Bruce, I think, paint some of the picture, but not the whole picture. So what we've done some analysis on the concentration of FCMs over the years and found that once you strip out, if you go back, sorry, go back to, to 2007 with I think the, the 160 FCMs registered at the CFTC. Actually, a lot of those didn't have any significant client balance. A lot of them didn't have any client client assets held. Some of them were were multiple entities of the same organisation who may have had an FCM license for their house business and FCM license for the client business. So you've seen the consolidation, which has obviously reduced the number of FCMs. But you've and you've also seen some smaller FCMs drop out of the market, but. That, that is quite overstated, we think, in terms of how, how many significant, how many FCMs are actually providing end user service of pullback it is far smaller than the than the 160 to, to 60, the implications of a, of a drop of 100 firms. Um, however, there has been a drop. And I think that the point we've reached now is the, one hopes and the deer of the number of FCMs as the trends that we've, we've been discussing come to the fore. But what we see is there are certainly, and we'll come on to it, new FCMs coming into the market. But one of the trends that surprised me is the level of expansion from FCMs into regions. So you see European banks looking to gain new memberships in places like in new markets like Saudi Arabia, but also to expand their offerings in Asia. So you, so you're, I think you're going to see a lot more regional competition from 
existing FCMs. So historically, if you looked at some esoteric markets in Asia, you probably only had two or three major um, FCMs that provided um, access to those markets. The others would go through either those FCMs or through local clearing firms. I think what you're going to see is a greater coverage of, of memberships from tier two firms and indeed increasingly tier three firms. So you're going to have the same firms offering more markets, which is going to create, I think, price pressure in terms of access to regional markets, which obviously will increase competition and probably increase flow to those to those regional markets. This episode is brought to you by ION. At ION, our clear derivatives solutions automate your complete trade lifecycle and deliver actionable insights whenever and wherever you need them. We offer execution and order management, post-trade processing, and a complete front-to-back business solution. To learn more, visit us at iongroup.com slash markets or email us at markets at iongroup.com. Well, as you know, high interest rates are a key component of FCM profits, right? Known as interest income. What does your research tell us about the confidence level that increased interest rates may now lead to the creation of new FCMs? We found certainly in the in the survey that the majority of people thought um, rates would remain high enough for to, to make uh, medium to long term decisions on expansion. And so far, we've talked a lot about the expansion of existing FCMs. But one of the interesting things we picked up was the nascent at this stage, but growing demand from new firms to come in and become FCMs. And if you look historically, that has happened. You know, you have seen that since two thousand and eight, despite the poor economic conditions um, in the US, for example. There's been four or five new FCMs that have registered in the in the real nadir of interest rates 2013 to, uh, and onwards. Um, but they tended to be from a very distinct market. They were retail brokers that were offering um, FCM or gaining FCM membership to offer clearing to clients in, um, to retail clients in a listed derivatives markets. So that was almost unique trend in the US that led to that, the economic conditions where that was worth um, investing in. But now you see a, a, a diversity of firms. You have um, non-bank FCMs, sorry, or, or brokers looking to become non-bank FCMs for specific markets, such as you know commodity markets, where they maybe want to reduce costs and own more of the um, the trade workflow by gaining one or two memberships. You still have the retail firms and retail brokers looking to, to replicate the trend that I alluded to um, earlier in terms of gaining memberships to offer a clearing to, to their retail clients. And you also have the crypto element, which while in something of a drawdown at the moment, we expect to come back. And that is exchanges becoming FCMs or exchange that, that blurring of the boundaries between an exchange and the FCM, which clearly you know, is, is regulatory, has a regulatory uncertainty to it, to say the least, in, um, in the US currently. But you've already seen MyAx holdings by um, an FCM. You've seen CME put out um, an application to run an FCM in response to the FTX proposal. So I would expect to see that trend as well continue, perhaps not in the US because of the regulatory uh, pushback against that, but certainly elsewhere, that, that blurring of the boundaries with, with exchanges also playing a role in, in um, FCM membership because for them it makes it makes clear sense that they can bring products to market quicker and they can prove the success of some products without relying on their FCM clients or their clearing clients to, to wait for client demand and to, and to invest in, in um, the, the, the post-trade works that's required often to onboard a new product. So currently in the US, we have high interest rates. But we also have central banks signaling that higher interest rates may come in the near future. According to what you said earlier, it also means the possibility of the creation of new FCMs. 
if this is the case, what might be some barriers to entry for them? So I think there's three three major barriers. The capital requirements clearly is the is the big one. The operational costs and the cost of capital of running an FCM are enormous and unlikely to go away anytime soon. Um, so capital's one major barrier to entry. Then you also have the difficulties in the acquisition strategy. I think if you're looking to set, if you're a tier two bank looking to set up a new FCM, you can either grow it organically or you can do it via acquisition. Um, Because in part, because of the reduction in FCMs over the last 15 years, there are very few clear acquisition targets that a, a tier two or three bank could look to to get um, a kind of ready-made FCM and get accelerate their growth into the market. So that leaves organic growth and the incremental build, um, which comes onto the technology question, which um, I'll, I'll hand over to Bruce. But I think one of the key barriers we picked up on was the investment or technology requirements remain high um, and firms are looking for a lower cost, lighter touch option in order to get into the market. Bruce, Let's tackle the same question. What are your thoughts on any barriers to entry for FCMs? So Will's perspective on um, acquisition versus organic growth is similar to mine. I think that the challenge to you know acquire you know another FCM is very challenging. So most firms are going to go down the organic growth path from you know what I can see. And, you know, because of that, you know, drilling into that technology requirement that many firms are going to need to tackle. And it's, you know, a challenging obstacle at times for various different reasons. Some of those are the internal decisions of build versus buy. It's also the expertise in clearing and risk to operate the systems, as well as the capacity to manage the implementation for new clearing, accounting, and reporting systems. So for FCMs wanting to act rapidly to get set up, there are several product companies to work with in the market to accelerate that journey into clearing. I would suggest, you know, a strong partnership with an external party needs to really be based on your clearing, you know, objectives and the product firm, you know, their understanding of your business requirements. So in support of this, I'd always, you know, recommend more analysis up front to your requirements, which will cascade throughout the project implementation and achieve better results for any new FCMs moving into clearing. What would you say about regulatory factors to consider? Do you have any concerns over any new rules that may discourage firms from gaining clearing membership? What advice would you give new entrants to navigate the complex regulatory environment and manage the risk effectively? Challenges on the regulatory side are always important factors to consider. I mean, the cost of capital that we alluded to earlier, you know, required by an FCM places pressure on existing firms and creates a hurdle for any new firms looking to enter the market. And I commented a, a little bit about those earlier, but the regulation and capital adequacy rules are largely in place by clearing houses with Dodd-Frank, Amir, and Basel over the past decade. So we may see Regulators tweak these rules, such as highlighted by the regulators looking at the proposed Basel III in-game capital rules. But this would raise the bar for capital requirements of banks with assets over $100 billion. So this is still to be ironed out to what the final rules will be. But I would suggest the underlying economics in the clearing business has markedly changed, and this is going to drive competition, and firms will look to selectively enter the market, even with the regulatory requirements. So share with us 
your thoughts on considerations that perhaps didn't come into play, say, 15 years ago. For example, ESG considerations are gaining momentum in the financial industry and cryptocurrencies are becoming a legit asset class. How do you see ESG, crypto, or even geopolitical unrest as factors influencing the FCM market in the coming years? Bruce, let's start with you. And Will, I would love to hear your take on these as well. So the move to greener technologies and crypto, they've been influencing and shaping uh, investment decisions over the last decade. The futures markets are essential to companies in managing risk, improving transparency, and also providing liquidity, which aligns with many of the ESG uh, principles that are there. So you know, as we see products aligned to these asset classes, you know, which we do today, this is going to be a growing trend that we're going to see in the market for participants to uh, to invest and to trade in actively. I mean, Will, from your perspective? Yeah, I think um, I think ESG and crypto are both huge opportunities for for um, clearing firms, but in different ways. So on the ESG side, you're seeing the conversion of a lot of existing benchmarks into ESG benchmarks, beginning with equity markets and obviously now moving into fixed income. So it's growing the overall um, pie and the overall choice for um, for investors, which obviously is good for for clearing businesses. Crypto is is a bit more complicated. Um, you currently have a deeply bifurcated market between onshore regulated um, and offshore regulated exchanges with CME, Eurex offering some market share and some opportunity for FCMs and, and SIBO um, digital in, in the US as well. But ultimately, FCMs are currently, the traditional FCMs are currently predominantly unable to access much of the crypto market. Um, firms like Deribit, you know, it's very difficult for them to, to offer access. And obviously, the clearing model in the native crypto market is very different to, to the clearing model in, um, in traditional markets. But I expect that will converge over time. You already you already see and uh, new clearing houses coming on stream, offering institutional grade clearing for crypto markets. Um, and I think FCMs across the world will be looking at the development of those ventures, um, hoping that it will open up some of the market to them. Now, as we discussed earlier, there does need to be a lot more regulatory certainty, particularly in the, in the US, um, before FCMs can, can, can properly engage with that market and seize the opportunities. Well, let's continue with you for a minute. What does the Acuity report tell us about technology's role in the growth of derivatives clearing? What tech advancements have been particularly influential and which technology can FCMs leverage to stay competitive? Since 2020 and the volatility around um, the outbreak of COVID, technology has post-trade has become a C-suite issue for many banks because we saw a lot of infrastructures were overwhelmed by volumes. And it's, it's an area that historically has been underinvested in by FCMs compared to the front office. But that has now changed in two years. I think that's completely changed. And you've seen vendors come out with, with new products, with updated technology, and, and also technology at, at different levels. So, so you can, you know, you can, you have entry level technology now available to new entrants to the market, which obviously, as we discussed, is eases the barrier, or eases the um, process of, of entering the market. Um, I think looking looking further ahead, I think blockchain technology will ultimately be a game changer for for, for, for clearing and the, the ability to have um, a real time mutable uh, views of positions um, will just continue to create more and more efficiencies. What were your report findings on existing F FCF plans to invest in new technology from, say, a, a third party to support the growth of their clearing memberships? And how did those decisions come about? 
So we found that 42% of firms were, were planning to invest with a third party to support their, their growth plans. Um, and I think that is a fundamental shift that's occurred in the market over the past 10 years. Very few firms these days are going to be building everything in-house. I think the ease of development via third party, the mutualization of costs, the ability to get best in breed from a third party, and, and crucially, the lack of reliance on on key staff um, who may have had had a, had a important role in building the technology is all driving uh, firms to, to, to look to third parties. And at the same time, the, the, the quality of third party offerings on the market has really improved dramatically um, over the last five years, just despite the fact that the, that the relative competition in post-trade for derivatives for, for technology um, is limited compared to, say, the front office. It's, you, know, you still see large amounts of innovation in the market. Bruce, from your experience, what are the three most important requirements a newly formed FCM needs to consider when working with a new technology or technology product vendor? So it's a great question. So, you know, clearly entering any new business line, you know, being technology driven as clearing is, there's a big investment that has to be made. And as part of that build versus buy decision is uh, critically important. And so, you know, one is really having a realistic expectation about the ability to execute on the build and not fail in doing that. And there's a lot of firms that start that journey and then aren't able to successfully Fully deliver it. The other, you know, factors that I would consider really, you know, if you're going to work with a product firm externally, is you know, what are the front to back solutions that they provide in the ability to automate workflows for you to do reduce your dependency on costly personnel, and then the other is really real time risk management. With you know the volatility we've seen since 2020, it's becoming an ongoing uh, market dynamic and the ability to manage the credit risk and your capital requirements is key. And then the final component I would have said is really the flexibility to scale your business as you grow. And I believe the days of kind of one size fits all is not really appropriate for firms who have so many different requirements, as Will described in terms of, you know, looking at more regional or specific markets. So, you know, making sure that, you know, the firms that they partner with can help them manage their technology cost effectively, but ultimately their entry into the market is key. So, you know, it needs to be a long-term partnership if you go down this path and capabilities as a key decision um, within that. I want to hear both of your takes on the following question. What is the one big thing you hope listeners would take away from this episode? Bruce, let's start with you. So there's a risk uh, reward ratio for any investment or entry into a market. Clearing works on the same basis, and it's important to do your homework, I would have said, before you embarked on on this type of investment. That would be my um, advice. And Will, same question. I think the the, the key takeaway... I have both my research and, and this this podcast is that there's huge opportunity in um, derivatives markets for, for for the sell side to come in and innovate and and um, launch an FCM. I think it's just yeah, the, the economics are great. There's a huge demand for competition, um, so hopefully it will spur spur boardrooms to, to to consider. And will where can people find your report that we've discussed today? Because there's much more in there that our listeners can learn from. Sure, so the report's available to download from, from the ION website or the Acuity website. 
Bruce, I've asked you about career advice in previous episodes, but my question today is, are there any specific habits or routines that have contributed to your success? I would treat your career as a marathon, if I can describe it like that, and not a sprint. So it's important to achieve success over time, but sometimes you may move sideways or take a step back before you move forward again. So I'd encourage being patient over that promotion or compensation adjustment for your longer term career growth. And I'm not saying, you know, not to take risks, but if you're learning and growing, I think you can take a lot out of that and take the long term view would be what I think's benefited me. And Will, same question. Are there any specific habits or routines that have contributed to your success? So I'm not sure it's a habit or a routine, but one of my first bosses once said that I was like a dog, that no matter how much he knocked me back I, and said, no, I always kept coming back, which at the time I was pretty offended, offended by. But having run a startup now for four years, I think that's acting like a dog is actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good philosophy when it comes to building and growing a business. All right. I like it. Sounds like great advice, Will. Well, Bruce Roberts, Will Mitting, thank you both for joining us again on the podcast. I hope we see you again soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ali. And that's our episode for today. You can follow Ion Markets on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ali Curry. Until next time.